Welcome back to Transformative Teaching, a facet at IU podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Katie Metz, and I'm really excited to be back for our first podcast this fall, along with my co-host, Michael Maroney, and our guest Hello, for this podcast. Yeah, say hi, Michael. Hi. <laughs> How's your semester going? It's going well. How's, how's your semester? Going? I don't know yet. It's pretty busy so far. I don't know. Starting to get in the hang of it. And uh, Sarah. If it's pretty busy, that means it's going. It is. That it is going. That's a very good point. It is going. And Sarah yeah. Johnson, our guest today, is a lecturer in the Department of Health Policy and Management at IUPUI. And I were just discussing this right before we hit play on the podcast about how I think sometimes we just forget how much it goes in the fall because summer lulls us into this little bit. So um, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So yeah, Sarah, we're really glad you could join us. Yeah. That's a class of 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So an, a new addition to the crew, which is awesome. And um, a health policy and management in particular, I think has been a very fun and interesting field in the last couple of years. I'm really excited to hear more about um, your your teaching journey, of course, but also just how, how things have changed for you in the last couple of years, both in your specialization and being in Indianapolis during COVID on a, on a major campus. I, I was looking at your teaching philosophy and I, I um, thought it was interesting how you talk about community is really important in your field, but you're, 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 you're focused on individual student learning and uh, I, I wonder how you kind of balance that out because someone who really believes in community and then also trying to individualize learning, um, kind of just what do you do to, to kind of balance those things out? Boy, I'm really jumping right in. Sorry. I know. <laughs> My goodness. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you teach in public health, everything of public health is is population, is communities, is society. And and that's really what sets us apart from medicine. And we're always having to explain our difference between public health and, and medicine, although obviously they're very closely intertwined. So I kind of think about it the same way. It's a bit of a push-pull as a teacher within that context, because I come from a background in career uh, development, career coaching, which is a very one-on-one -on -one experience. It's a very, what is this person's goal? Where do they want to get to? How are we going to get you there? And then you get into a classroom and there's 25, 50, 55, 80, however many uh, of these individuals that all have different goals, pursuits, needs, starting points. Uh, and that was really overwhelming at the start. And so it's been interesting to try and find that that balance between the two. And I think I've had to go out and find different strategies that help me make things very personal in the classroom that still keep that individual touch, but yet build classes in a way that mean the group can be successful as well. So if that's, you know, making your Canvas site extremely navigable, or if that's building in checkpoints throughout the semester so we can all make sure that we're in the same place where we need to be as, as we move forward to then allow for that individual work if that's necessary with certain students. So it's definitely a balancing act. Speaking of Do you balancing. Have a favorite strategy? Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. It depends what format I'm teaching in. Um, I've been doing a lot, obviously, in online land uh, in the last few years. So I've had to learn a lot there. So that's all very fresh for me. Uh, I use the tools on Canvas a lot. You can see how a student is moving through modules if you set it up in a certain way. And so I kind of feel like a stalker sometimes. I'm on Canvas watching, you know, 
where are they? Who's falling behind? Who hasn't opened this? And that gives me that ability to then do some one-on-one -on -one work. Every day, basically, you can you can kind of tell where you're yeah. every day. Yeah, I don't know that they know that always. Um, you know, it's <laughs> funny you say that because um, I tell my students, I was like, listen, we know a lot about you, or we have the capacity to know a lot about you. And I was like, look, and sometimes I'll just go through somebody's metrics and they'll give me that like yeah that look. And I'm like, I try really hard not to Im impose upon you unless there's something that's really falling behind, but we know a lot about your activity on Canvas. Mm -hmm. So so you kind of touched on this earlier on, but like many people in FastArt or just, um, and those of us who seem to do a lot, continue to do a lot of things. And so you're both faculty and the program director. And I, I really want to hear from your perspective right now, especially because it's such a student-centric role, how you're balancing the the faculty role with this, this program director role, because I think a lot of us can relate to that administrative piece of the puzzle interacting with our teaching and research duties. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's a challenge for sure, because you get pulled in one direction and you get pulled in the other direction. But I think I couldn't be a good program director if I weren't in the classroom all the time with the students that I'm responsible for as a program director. So I feel so much more connected. I also have very strategically picked which classes I teach, which actually helps fill some of the gaps I would see otherwise, I think as a program director. So I teach the beginning course, our 100 level, and I teach our capstone course. And so I know that I'm gonna touch students at least at those two really important points. So I get a feel for what are some of the issues or needs or problems that might be developing or what are the strengths and things that we should be focusing on and capitalizing on with each new cohort that comes through. And then of course, it keeps me very much in touch with what happens to our students after they graduate, which is such an important part of my job. It's not just what are they learning while they're here, but how does that translate to what they wanna do next and how successful they are in taking those next steps. So the capstone has kept me very in touch with our alumni has helped me stay really engaged. So I think the teaching can can correspond really nicely, but it definitely, I can definitely say there are semesters where there's something administrative. I mean, COVID was a great example. We had all these adjuncts that were teaching for us that worked in healthcare that suddenly said, we can't, we can't be associate faculty for you this semester. We're in panic mode, you know, our hospitals are under extreme stress, we need to step back. And so it's me then trying to figure out how to allocate other teaching time, stepping into extra classes. And yeah, your ability to focus on on being the best teacher possible drains down a little bit when you're you're spread so thin in those sort of crisis administrative moments, but it all balances out. That's what so, I tell so myself. It, it balances out. And, but it sounds like to me, like you're situated in in the way you're, you've designed your teaching um, schedule, you're situated in a way that you really get to see the student success. And yeah. um, I'm wondering if, if there's like a particular story of student success that, that you can share that um, like inspires you. Sure. There was a, uh, a student, I was actually teaching the, gosh, it's probably three or four, no, pre-COVID times, who knows what year it was. Pre-COVID times, I had a freshman student in my 100 level class and she was lovely, but very quiet. You know, she'd sit in the back of the room. I remember she specifically would wear her baseball cap to class and just like hid behind it. I could tell there was a lack of confidence. We weren't quite there yet. We weren't really sure how to express our feelings, our thoughts, how to, how to engage with the content that we were learning. And 
as the semester went on, she started to come out of her shell. I try and create that 100 level to be very focused on curiosity, excitement, fun, building confidence in speaking the language of healthcare so that they, they're ready for those later courses. And so I start, started to see her come out of it. And then I, of course, saw her four years later in the capstone, and she was just a different person. It was shocking. She came into the capstone having landed a really fantastic internship with the local health system she was dressed professionally because she had come from her internship she had such confidence in how she talked about what she was doing in her role there she actually went on to the uh, master's program within health administration afterwards and she comes back as an alumni now uh, and sits on panels in our capstone class so i just think of that one in particular because you see this extremely quiet student who just clearly wasn't quite sure if this is where they really wanted to be or if this was the right fit to this amazing powerhouse of a young professional who wants to come back into the classroom it, it and give kind back. I saw her starting to blossom even in that yeah. first first class. I mean, if yeah, these a little floral metaphor here. Yes, <laughs> always welcome. So, Sarah, you this this kind of leads. Hey, Michael, we're we're doing it. We're leading into questions just so seamlessly today and Sarah is the reason for that. So um, you were a Mosaic faculty fellow in 2018 and I think that this program is um, super awesome because its goal really is to transform the classroom experience, not for just students, but also for faculty members. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to your experience in that fellowship and how it helped you engage in these uh, transformative experiences for yourself and students. Oh, I could like sing mosaic praises for days. It was <laughs> phenomenal. And I think the the biggest part of it, which necessarily isn't the perfect tie-in to what it's about, which is active learning, but it was the first time I had a real opportunity to engage with fellow colleagues from different disciplines. And that in and of itself was just, for me as a, a burgeoning teacher, just such an important quality to be able to bounce ideas off of people from different disciplines and different contexts and at different stages in their careers. But beyond that, the mosaic focus on the act of learning was it, it was inspirational, it was transformational. I now go into classrooms and it's the first thing I think about is, is how am I going to use the space? If I'm mad about the space, which sometimes happens, uh, how can I overcome some of the challenges of these old metal desks or you know what's available in terms of whiteboards or screens, but it's also transitioned into the online context. I think people talk about you can't have active teaching online and you absolutely can. There's just a different approach that you have to take and different strategies you have to use for that. So um, Mosaic was fantastic. I can't can't express enough how useful it was, beneficial it was in the long run. And how do you think? Well, I think you, you speak to this notion of like being able to overcome what look like obstacles. Um, and I think that we always can do that. It's yeah. we always can figure out a way to do something, and we have a lot of support to do that if we if we if we scan the landscape and talk to the right people. Um, and uh, the the mosaic the mosaic initiative, uh, it, it, one of the things it does is it does bring you together with faculty from other disciplines, like you said, and um, and that's one of the things that we we like about Facet is that that yes. the same kind of thing happens happens with Facet. Um, I'm kind of curious, did in that mosaic, because that sounds like that was really transformative for you. Um, did you meet a particular person who kind of became like a like an inspiration or sort of like a champion um, in, in that experience? 
I definitely met some fantastic people in that experience. I think, unfortunately, as I came out of it, COVID really began to happen. Uh, And so a lot of the mm -hmm. development that was happening sort of stalled. I will say what did lead me to, I would sort of target as my champion recently, was um, the faculty learning communities that the Center for Teaching and Learning here at IQI has been running. Um, there's, uh, a fantastic individual, Lisa Contino, who has been, uh, serving as a, you know, CTL, uh, aficionado leading those learning communities. And she has just been such a champion to me over my journey over the last few years, I'm going up for promotion this year. And she's really helped me sort of see myself as a teacher in a different context as she helped work with me on my. Uh, teaching philosophy. She challenged me to be able to explain what I was doing in the classroom. And that really started in those those learning community environments and inspired me to apply to FACET. So, I mean, has just been a really positive mentor throughout that process. Yeah, those um, those opportunities are fantastic. I, I did the same thing. I, I joined a faculty learning community right before, I've, right before I went up for promotion. It was somewhere around the promotion FACET um, context, which a lot of us are, are very intimately intertwined into, um, but but we are so fortunate, I think, on our campuses to have such fantastic resources like the Mosaic Fellowship, like the faculty learning communities. I was in one, a really cool one about visual literacy, mm-hmm. and that it was fantastic. It was so entertaining, and then also not just the FASIT membership itself, but these events that we put on, I know in Bloomington, like Ignite, that we're really able to take those experiences in those fellowships or communities and share them with each other. I think that that is such an important part of this community. So I wanna switch gears a little bit here because I've, I've looked through your teaching experience. I've read your dossier at the state level, and I'm so curious as to how your approach to teaching classes like healthcare delivery in the U.S. and career preparation for health services management have changed in the last three-ish years for no reason whatsoever, right? Oh, yeah. None whatsoever. There's been no catalyst for change. (laughs) Yeah. No, nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have the elephant in the room whenever we start talking about healthcare. Uh, You know, I actually just did a lesson yesterday in my uh, healthcare delivery in the US class. We were talking about cost of care in the US and talking about how we're way ahead of schedule because we had this little budget blip that happened to us in terms <laughs> of what we needed to spend some money on and you know what were the implications of that in the future. And I always center this to my students as you are the next group of healthcare leaders. These are challenges I want you to get excited about fixing because we're gonna need you to fix them for us. And so COVID has actually proved to be I mean, an absolutely terrible thing that has happened, but a really interesting thing to talk about in the context of how students can connect what they're learning to what they lived to some extent. And so if nothing else, they have stories of their family members or friends who either experienced the healthcare system or worked in the healthcare system during what was such a tumultuous time and is still a tumultuous time. And and they're able to make those connections to what they're learning in class and what's happening in policy and what needs to happen in the future could happen in the future. And and that's been really a a rich part of the conversation around that particular issue. Yeah. And just to follow up on that briefly, you mentioned earlier about this kind of distinction between healthcare management and medicine. And how do you get your students to buy into this, the system, the healthcare management system is equally as important, if not more important than having the correct people in the room to actually provide the care? What's the buy-in for you? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so obviously our intro courses have our majors in them, our health services management majors who plan to work on the business side of healthcare. Uh, however, they also have a lot of clinical students in them, pre-med students, nursing students, medical imaging tech, radiology, all these uh, dental hygienists, all of these <laughs> clinicians, future clinicians, and they're in there because they need to know and they know they need to know how the system around them is going to work that will either impede what they're able to do as a clinician or support what they need to do as a clinician. So something as simple as how health insurance works, which I think is always this sort of, they all come into class the day we're going to start talking about health insurance and look thrilled, right? No one's like, let's learn insurance. <laughs> but I'm, I'm so passionate about helping them see how this is going to impact every day of their life, even if they don't work or touch healthcare, because they're going to be patients and they need to understand such an important concept. But from my clinical students, learning about that, just as an example of uh, the piece of the healthcare system, is essential to understand why a patient might not feel comfortable filling a prescription or why a patient might decide to forego an extra appointment. And being aware, it's not the patient pushing back against you. It's maybe these other things happening in the broader system, the broader I, context. I have to say that uh, my, my daughter just transited. Uh, turned 26 so she just transitioned off of off yeah oh, yeah and i had to sit down with her for about probably a good hour hour and a half and go through her her choices for the future and and it was like it's super complicated i, I mean is. i look at it and i'm like you know i think i get what all this means yeah <laughs> and you're an adult yeah. like you're supposed to understand right and right. it's funny sarah right. because i'm on the other side of this kind of the other side where i'm a tax professor. And so I have to teach students why stuff comes out of their paycheck and mm. what it goes to support and how it may or may not support them in the future. So it's funny when you say that I sit down with the health, we're talking about health insurance today. I'm the same way. I'm like, we're talking about social security today Yay. or whatever it may be. But, but you bring up a really good point that this, um, this life essence component of what we do really does impact not just how our students are going to function in their careers, but also hopefully provide some impact on how they are going to function yeah. in their own lives and the choices that Emily Maroney is going to make or that, right. you know, I'm going to make if job switches or children come into play. So that that's yeah. really interesting. It's something that I, I relate to weirdly because I'm like, yeah. do you know how you have a salary? And then it's not. Does this relate to, at all to kind of what inspired you to get into teaching in this field? Um, I'm kind of curious, what, what did get you into teaching uh, in the healthcare field? Yeah, it was all luck <laughs> and oh, happenstance. Okay. No, no, no. It was, uh, I had of been course. teaching the career. Flip the coin. I flipped a coin. <laughs> I had been teaching the career preparation courses first in kinesiology in Bloomington, because that's where I was working in career development, was at the School of Public Health there. And then when I moved to Indianapolis, I started teaching the career development courses and the career preparation courses for health policy and management students when I was the director of career development. And I just loved it. It was clearly the thing that I, I wanted to be doing more and more and more of. And I think the department chair saw that and just said, hey, do you just want to come do this full time? Like, we'll make sure you know what you need to know. And you're a teacher and you don't need to be the discipline expert for the, the types of classes that we're going to have you teach. Mm -hmm. We just need you to be the teacher that you are. And so that was sort of what drew me in. And I've had to learn a lot, obviously. I did not come in as a health systems expert, but I found that in some ways not being that expert for the 100 level classes helped me because it helped me figure out what are the steps I needed 
to introduce this information because mm -hmm. I had to learn it before I was in there teaching. Um, so I really had to learn as I go, but it's been more of a, a process of, I know how to teach. I feel confident in that. It's more of how am I going to teach this new content? How am I going to teach these topics? And I stay far away from the super, super involved things that I am not an expert in. Well, so I, I, I mean, a couple of things really jump out uh, at me with, with your answer. One is like, you're seeing the content through the eyes of the student, mm -hmm. and, and and because you can do that, you're able to kind of structure things that that help them get what they need to get out uh, mm -hmm. of the class. But the uh, another thing that you said really kind of inspires a question for me, and that's um, they said the teacher that you are, mm -hmm. and I wonder what do you know what they were seeing in you? Um, I I like to think it was just there's just so much. I think I bring a lot of enthusiasm. I claim it's the coffee, but I think it's just also a natural state. I really enjoy the, the I don't know, the environment of a classroom. And I've learned how to enjoy this online, although that has taken a lot more time to figure out how to, to feel that same way about a class. But there's just so much excitement that comes with stepping into a classroom and knowing that everybody's at a different place, but we all want to get to this new place. And how are we going to do this together? Um, knowing that everyone has, you know, different exposure points, different contexts, different understanding of things. And it's a fun puzzle to put together every year. And so I think I go into it like, like that. And it really doesn't matter, I guess, as much what it is I'm teaching, although that's not true. It matters. You want to be excited about it. You want to personally find it interesting. Uh, and I happen to be very intrigued by healthcare. I've worked in schools of public health exclusively my entire professional career. So I'm very interested and I've had a lot of exposure points uh, to the various disciplines and contexts and, and research projects. So that's been helpful along the way as well, that personal curiosity. We've talked about so much about how you're a teacher, you can teach, and I'm going to hit you with one here that I like to talk about, but I know that um, <laughs> it's tough for people, frankly, which is what was, um, we talk about aha moments a lot. What was an uh-oh moment? for you. I'm doing oh, this. I'm a teacher. Yeah. I'm doing the teaching things. And then things don't go the way you thought they would. So um, are you willing to share that with us and, and how you pivoted for away sure. from that, if at all? For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think you say you're a teacher because you have to reassure yourself you're a teacher. <laughs> frankly, yep. I tell my, like, I'm a teacher and darn it, I am. Because if you start to really realize, if you're going to critique it, you're going to quickly realize like, you're never a perfect teacher. <laughs> you're never going to get it right every time. And gosh, you're lucky if you get it right a heck of a you know number of times. It's just, it's something that takes practice and, and continual, continuous quality improvement. And yeah, there's been many of those moments. Right. Let's see. Uh, at the beginning of, of my career, and it pops up from time to time, my issue is I'm a a very organized person. And so I would lesson plan and I would notice that I would get into the habit of I'm filling this class time or I'm covering this material. And I wouldn't really take a step back and make sure, is that what's happening? Or am I, am I actually teaching this? Are they learning with me? Or am I just talking through things? Are we just doing activities to do them? Did they get what they needed to get out of that activity? So there's been a lot of those moments where I've realized, oh, I just I just flew through a lesson plan and I didn't really understand what was happening in the room as I was leading that lovely little lesson. Um, so things like that have definitely happened. And, and I notice that when I'm very stressed or when I'm dealing with a lot of administrative things, I can start to fall back into that. And I make note of that uh, very intentionally because uh, I can tell it will start to happen again. 
And then the thing that I think most recently was was a challenge in the online environment was I spent all this time uh, getting really excited about online learning. I did all these lessons, all these uh, practical trainings, and I built out what I thought was this phenomenal online course. And then I taught the online course for the first time. And I looked at those analytics we were talking about earlier, and I realized that the majority of students weren't doing any of the activities they weren't doing they weren't opening the readings they weren't opening some of the lecture videos um they weren't opening any of the supplemental pieces and that was gut-wrenching and yeah. i realized that that's not their fault it was me building a class that didn't motivate them or create a need for them to do those things and so i had to take a complete step back and rethink how is i going to restructure this class that would require them and make them want to engage with those pieces instead of just putting it all out there and assuming, of course, they're gonna wanna watch six hours of this or you know, whatever it was. There were no six hour videos for the record, but it's I, it's I really, I, well, first of all, that's great. I'm glad to hear you don't have six hour videos. <laughs> yes. um, but uh, the, 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 I really like how you're, you're coming at things where you, every when you say teaching, the first thing you say after that is, are they learning? Um, I really, you know, personally appreciate that, that you put those two things together. Um, and, and, I, and I don't want to do, I don't want this to be like a lead in to push you in a particular direction on the next question. Um, but I'm kind of curious, what's the most important thing you want a new instructor to think about when they when they come in the classroom? Yeah, when they're preparing to teach. Yeah, I think. And this came to me actually from my department chair, who was so kind and, and co-taught a couple classes with me when I first transitioned into the department, because he could tell how I wasn't, I was feeling that imposter syndrome of I'm not a discipline expert. And so he, as this extreme discipline expert, stepped in and co-taught these classes with me to get me started and so appreciative for that. And I thought the thing I was going to walk away from that experience with was, you know, this much deeper sense of the content, but actually he left me with something that I would, whenever I can share with other teachers, because it was so impactful. Yes. You want your students to learn. Yes. You need to assess how they're learning. Yes. You need to understand how you're creating this learning process in this learning environment. But 10 years from now, your students are probably not going to remember your name, of course, and they're definitely not going to remember the minutiae of what they learned in that class, unless it's something that they happen to be working with every single day. But what they will remember is how they felt when they took that class. What they will remember is how they felt about their learning of that content, and that will stick with them for a lifetime. And so you need to create a class environment where that student has this excitement and, and curiosity to learn. They are inspired to be intrigued by these topics. They feel confident in their learning in this area. And that stays with them. And I can see that reflected back. I think back on teachers I had as an undergraduate student. I remember taking a class on the history of chocolate or something like that. It was taught <laughs> by this phenomenal anthropologist. And I knew nothing about it. And today I don't know if I care about chocolate other than it's good, but I noticed that I have always continued to you know, gravitate towards nonfiction uh, that talks about anthropological and sociological issues because I remembered enjoying learning that mm -hmm. and that has stuck with me. And I don't remember the, the specifics of the course, but that, that feeling and that desire to continue to want to learn in that area has has stuck. And so that's what I, I would tell other instructors too, is yes, you want them to learn, but you want them to have a feeling about that learning because that awesome. will stay. 
Yeah. I mean, that's that's really kind of beautiful, right? Yeah. I, I like I like that advice that you got. So I so here's a, a shout out to the mentors out there. Yeah. Seriously, I've had so many amazing, amazing mentors yeah. along the way. Yeah. yeah. Sarah, as we finish up talking to you, this has been such a fun conversation. It's super oh, fun. Good. It's like energizing me to go teach the heck out of my class <laughs> in a few Woo-hoo. hours here. Um, last question for you is what are you most looking forward to? So we talk a lot about what we're doing right now, what we have done. What's exciting to you about the future in your career in life? It can be literally whatever. Oh my gosh. Uh, so many things. I think I was explaining to somebody who, who isn't in academia, isn't in higher ed, you know, what I do in my job because everyone <laughs> has their understanding of it. And they said, okay, well, you know, what are some interesting new projects? So sort of a similar thing. And I sat back and I realized what's so cool about my job is that there's always the ability to think about something new or to dive down a new rabbit hole of curiosity. And so many positions don't afford that freedom. So one of the things I'm really excited about is we have topics courses in our our major. And so I think I'm going to be developing a new topics course uh, over women's health issues, because I'm realizing that something like 80% of the students in my program are women, and we really don't have any coursework that acknowledges Mm -hmm. some of the the big disparities that there are in health policy and health outcomes um, that comes into play there. And I think that would just be- That's not in the news at all. No, not Um, in the news. But what a fascinating topic. And so I get to spend time learning and then building, and what a cool way to, to be able to spend um, some time in my job. What Absolutely. Wow. That, yeah, that's really cool. As somebody who um, has yeah. gone through that system for super a lot relevant. of different reasons, super, yeah. super, yeah. super relevant. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. We really enjoyed having a conversation with you again, Sarah Johnson lecturer in the department of health policy and management at IUPUI Bassett class of 2021. We look forward to continuing these conversations with you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Cool.